0: KBU Community Radio holds open meetings concerning the operations and programming of KBU in accordance with requirements of the Communications Act of 1934 and certification requirements of the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Information about KBU Community Radio's open meeting policy is available at our website at kbu.fm. The Engineering Committee meets on the first Thursday of the month at 7 p.m. This month's meeting will be held online through a public video conference. A public link and phone number to attend the meeting can be found on our website at kbu.fm. Please visit our website to verify if a meeting is being held.
1: Tune in to KBU every fourth Friday of the month at 8 p.m. for Squirrel Snow this show where we broadcast galactic awareness animal awareness where we have fascinating conversations with movers and shakers in the fields of galactic awareness and animal awareness and we play music that can raise our frequency of consciousness yeah that is squirrel snow every fourth friday of the month
0: at 8pm here on your community radio station KBOO, Portland.
1: KBOO's annual end-of-year campaign is just getting started, and now is a great time to become a member of KBOO. Go to kboo.fm slash give or text KBOO to 44321 right now. Your donation will be matched dollar for dollar up to $20,000 thanks to the generous support of a group of anonymous donors. Join the Kibu family today and help us meet our $75,000 end of year goal. Hello and welcome to Pathways, where you are invited to join me with a visit with leaders in personal development and cultural evolution. This is your host, Paul O'Brien. A little-known 6th-century Taoist text, translated as the Statutes of the Hundred Remedies, was created as a practical guide to what enlightened behavior looks like from an ethical point of view. The author-translator we're talking with believes each of the hundred spiritual re- uh, remedies are as, just as relevant today as they were 1,500 years ago when they were first compiled. Our guest is Greg Ripley, author of the new book, The Hundred Remedies of the Tao, Spiritual Wisdom for Interesting Times. Greg is a Taoist priest in the 22nd generation of the Zhen Longmen tradition, as well as a nature and forest therapy guide. He holds a bachelor's degree in Asian studies from the University of Tennessee and a master's degree in acupuncture from Northwestern Health Sciences University. The author of The Tao of Sustainability and the Voice of the Elders, he now lives in Golden Valley, Minnesota. Hello, Greg, and welcome to The Pathway Show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Now, let's start by asking about the subtitle of your book. I mean, what do you mean by interesting times? This reminds me of the Chinese curse, May You Live in Interesting Times.
0: Yeah, I think... uh... I think uh that's probably what the uh, publishers were going for there. We we kicked around a few different uh, subtitles and uh um yeah, you know, from one perspective we're always living in interesting times. It's just a question of uh what kind of interesting, right? Uh good, bad, uh all the above chaos, you know, who I, knows. know, I right? think originally it was I think originally it was considered a curse, right?
1: You mm-hmm. know, may you live in interesting times. It'd be kind of nice to live in boring times right now, and and we're going to talk about that. Okay, so how did you become a Taoist? And now I understand, but I don't think most people see Taoism. It's not very visible. They're they're not aware of Taoist temples. They're not. They don't. They're not aware of it as a religious path at all. What was your path? How
0: did you become a Taoist? Yeah, I um. Well of course I was interested in um, Asian studies, Chinese studies, um, Eastern philosophy and religion um, back in college. Interested in Taoism and Buddhism and and just you know voraciously reading everything I could back then. Um, And um, you know got interested in associated arts um, you know Taiji Chuan and Qigong and things like this. Eventually led me to acupuncture of course as well and while Chinese medicine is not exactly Taoism, there's there's obviously a a shared worldview and a lot of a lot of overlap there. Um and you know, I think it always just uh it always just made sense to me. Always always kinda clicked. Always uh kind of felt at home there. And um, so I think back when I was in college, um yeah, Taoism wasn't really very um, very obvious in the West other than through associated things like Taiji chi, uh, Chinese medicine uh, these sorts of things and I think the impression that we had gotten from scholars and um, yeah kind of our general impression in the West was that Taoism had kind of died out and it wasn't really a, a living religion anymore other than you know maybe in Uh, overseas Chinese communities you know places like Singapore or Southeast Asia um and I think a lot has changed since then so you know in the 80s 90s um it wasn't very easy to go over to China and wander up to some temple a lot of the temples were kind of defunct and in disrepair and uh, a lot of people had uh, kind of gone back into society, um, you know, during the Cultural Revolution and all those times, of course. And then since then there's been a huge revival in China, and Taoism has kind of reestablished itself um, with its infrastructure and and uh, kept its lineages alive and and, uh, yeah, it's kind of going through a big revival there. And so it's I kind of feel like, as a living tradition, it's kind of coming to the west now where Buddhism was maybe 30 years ago, you know, with, with, Mm -hmm. um, you know, when Zen priests started to come West and and started to teach Westerners or when Tibetans started to come to the West. And at that time, there weren't really any Taoists coming to the West or, you know, uh, there were people teaching a bit about Taoism here and there, uh, through, through their arts. Um, but not really, uh, in the way that those other traditions were. Well, I know that
1: I actually um, went to China, and I mm-hmm. um, gave a speech uh, there in Beijing at a conference about uh, the Yijing, which I had been devoted to since I was in college, and I wrote a um, ended up creating a software version of it, mm-hmm. and they were all excited. And I know during the Cultural Revolution, This stuff was really uh banished and really um repressed but when i went there and gave this talk they were i was amazed at how much interest there was and i was also amazed at how much ignorance there was because the cultural revolution had just sort of like you know squelched anything even remotely religious and i thought wow i mean if i was in the communist party I would be promoting this. I mean, this is like, Taoism is like, you know, doesn't really bother with that kind of thing at all. But uh, they thought I was a great reformer because I had written this um, English version. It was really a kind of an extrapolation of the Wilhelm Baines version for modern times. Uh, So I understand what you're saying. And so I guess I'm kind of a Taoist in, in, in a sense that I resonate with that. But is Taoism really a religion? Is it really? Mm-hmm. Is there really a belief system uh, attached to it that makes any difference? I mean, is, does it really matter what you believe?
0: Um, I like most things in Taoism. I would, I would probably say maybe or yes and no, uh, <laughs> that kind of thing. Right? Could it's, you be a little more I vague? I think there's. I definitely think there's a. Yeah, yeah, right. I think there's definitely <laughs> a worldview there that underlies it, right? And right, that, right. I mean, if we if we want to take religion in the widest sense, um, then certainly is and 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 can be perceived that way. But it's one of those things that I think it can be approached from a purely philosophical standpoint. It can be approached in a much more religious sort of way, or spiritual way, you know, because people are not comfortable with saying religion anymore, They're, they want to be spiritual but not religious, and you can certainly do that with Taoism. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I think, once we've broadened our idea of what religion is beyond, hey, we're used to Western monotheistic traditions, and that we call that religion, and then this other stuff we're not so sure about, I think in the widest sense of a a body of uh, ritual and practice with a coherent worldview that people have passed on um, in the same way that you know Hinduism is a religion or Buddhism is a religion then certainly we could say Taoism is a religion as well
1: you know I think the problem is is that in the West the Abrahamic religions are so belief centric you know they basically demand that you accept this belief system that is you know you know um, backed up by their ancient scriptures and you take a little interpretation of these ancient scriptures and you know by whatever you your faith you're saved whereas i think yeah. in the east you know you've got hinduism buddhism uh Daoism, you, you you have to save yourself it's not like the buddha saves mm-hmm. anybody you know it's basically you know karma, and, and 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 it's your responsibility to um, to find your own way. And that's that's really what I like about it, and that's what kind of converted me to the Eastern uh, spirituality. Okay, so let's talk about this book, you know, The Hundred Remedies, you know, how is this different than the Tao Te Ching, which is obviously the most famous uh, Taoist classic, along with the I Ching,
0: which uh, I, yeah, I'm very okay. familiar with. Yeah, so this this comes quite a bit later. This would be, uh, like we were saying, probably the 5th or 6th century. And it's really a, a precepts text. Um, it's part of a larger group of texts. Um, it's when Taoism during the Tang Dynasty was kind of, um, or moving into that time period, where Taoism um, was kind of, uh, had a, a real dialogue going with Buddhism, right? So they were both influencing each other a lot. Um, you know, kind of ch- more Chinese forms of Buddhism were kind of developing, um, and Taoism was taking a lot of structure, certainly, from Buddhism. I don't know. I think they they found a lot in Buddhism that resonated with what they, their own teachings, what they already had, things from the Tao Te Ching. And um, so I a lot of times people will be Ooh. like, find something that sounds familiar they'll be like oh they just took that from Buddhism or whatever and and I it was much more complicated than that of course but um, um yeah so it's a it's a precepts text but what makes it kind of unique is the way it's presented as sort of spiritual remedies um it's not thou shalt kind of rules but it's like um, doing this is a remedy um, as in you'll have certain situations or problems in life or ways of thinking that cause problems um, and if you do XYZ it can be a remedy for that situation so yeah it's about ethics and it's and I just felt it was very approachable and very applicable to to everyone's life whether they're trying to live a more monastic or hermetic sort of lifestyle or whether they're out in the world and and have a family and a job and all that good stuff. So, yeah, we we don't hear very much about um,
1: lay Taoists. <laughs> you know, we'd usually hear about mm-hmm. you know the crazy wisdom of Taoist uh, hermits and, and that kind of thing. We mm-hmm. don't hear about it as a daily practice or as a kind of a regular religion. What is uh, it, it, is there kind of like a a, a religious community? of of uh norm of, of average everyday citizens that are practicing Taoism and, and identifying with it
0: yeah there are and um certainly in china in the chinese diaspora um you know overseas communities and stuff um the two main um branches of Taoism as it exists today they kind of are grouped into Zhen which is typically more monastic and living in temples living that kind of lifestyle and um, Jung Yi which is kind of an umbrella for a lot of the other lineages who often pass down lineages through the family so even if someone is a priest performing ceremonies and rituals for their community um, they will usually have a family and, and kids and that's how it's passed on so there's there's both traditions there the monastic tradition um you know there was always that kind of hermetic uh tradition but uh, more formal monastic communities and stuff like that was kind of some of that uh, influence from buddhism but so you have people who live in temples people who live family kind of householder lives um and everything in between i suppose <laughs> So
1: how would you differentiate Taoist practice as a householder from Buddhist practice? Is it any different? I mean, are you? is there anything other than meditation
0: that um, would be involved or central to it? Well, it, it's, I mean, in a lot of ways, it's very similar. Um, you typically like um, people who are familiar with, well, if you're familiar with Zen, of course, you know, it's very meditation-centric Um and that's kind of the core of it, not so much um, you know, recitation of things and stuff other than like the Heart Sutra, right? And then Tibetan Buddhism, you have the other extreme where there's there's a lot of chanting, a lot of liturgy kind of stuff, right? And um so Taoism is kind of um can be approached in a lot of different ways. You could focus on meditation and you know, internal alchemy, um uh you know, longevity practices, those sorts of things. Um, studying the I Ching and all, and, and the scriptures, and then you can also practice uh, daily liturgies. There's there's morning and evening liturgies, um, and different different days throughout the month where you might um, do different practices, um, similar to, you know, like if if people are familiar with Tibetan Buddhist communities that like. Will follow the calendar and certain days they'll do certain practices and and get together. Um, there's a similar kind of setup um, in uh, in Taoism as well. So certain rituals on certain days, that kind of thing.
1: Uh, one of the central concepts of Taoism is Wu Wei, um, mm-hmm. and, and it's a beautiful concept. But can you please uh, explain that for us?
0: Yeah, I would say. The best way to understand wu-wei is probably like non-contrived action or uncontrived action um uh action that is very sort of natural um isn't really kind of clashing with reality or with others (coughs) kind of that idea of going with the flow and all those things but um on the one hand it's it's something we we work towards. We can't just like be like, "Hey, I'm just doing what's natural," you know. Um, let it all hang out. That's right. We can't just let it all hang out. Um, eventually, <laughs> maybe we can, but I, I think it takes uh, some some self cultivation to get there and realize what that looks like. So, one way to look at the the precepts is kind of like they are a reflection of what you know the Taoist sagely behavior would look like so instead of you know the Buddha or a Bodhisattva or something in Buddhism we you know in the Tao Te Ching, we look at the sage um, even in the I Ching you know you talk about what what would the sage do or what would the, the junza do um, and uh, and so it's kinda like here's a model of what their behavior would would be like and we can kinda try to model ourselves after that until those things become natural to us and right. uh, you know, the, the the most appropriate action um, would be another way of looking at Wu Wei. So, whatever's the most appropriate action to take in a certain situation, when that just comes naturally to us and we just do it without a second thought, then there's some Wu Wei. You
1: know, I find the
0: philosophical
1: backdrop of Taoism to be like the biggest uh, benefit of it because. One of the issues that I think that we have to confront with modern Buddhism in the West and modern Taoism in the West probably too, is the fact that most of what was written and most of what was compiled in favor of practice was pretty monastic in terms of its orientation. And they kind of had a division of labor, you know, you had the lay people and you had the monks. And the lay people supported the monks, and the monks kind of did the heavy lifting when it came to spiritual practices for the community. And uh, mm-hmm. I don't think that really uh, suits the West. We, in other words, this integration of these monastic practices with the life of a lay person—that's the real challenge of modern uh, spirituality. And what what are your reflections on that?
0: Yeah, I think that's definitely the case. Um yeah, we we yeah, we don't have that traditional model other than maybe if we think about catholicism or something like that, right? Maybe that's a similar kind of situation, you know, a, a, your parish priest and that kind of thing. But yeah, that's not right. really the way uh the way things work in the West these days. So just as yeah, Buddhism is is sort of Developing sort of western forms or what works or what makes sense in the west um, i'm sure taoism will be doing the same um and yeah it's it's more more focused on integrating the practices and the principles and the the philosophy into your daily living yeah
1: right and i think your book actually highlights that by bringing forth these ethical um principles these hundred remedies and it's, it's, a, it's a book about ethics, really. It's about how to live your best life, and you have these hundred things that go back to whenever it was, 500 A.D., or I don't know when it was written. I don't remember. But yeah. uh, it was a long, a long time ago, 1,600 years ago. <laughs> and, and so much of it is so relevant, and I really, uh, really enjoyed looking through the hundred remedies Um Uh, So many of them were uh, so timely, you know, like remaining unruffled in catastrophic times. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, there's a challenge. That's something that we're having to deal with now. And you mentioned climate change. Your book is very modern in that sense that it's applying these ethical principles from Taoism to modern times, including how to deal with issues that we can't fully control but that do cause a lot of consternation and and anxiety um uh, so i I really appreciated that there were so many of them you know it's like another one number 52 cool as a cucumber (laughs) i don't think that's a direct translation (laughs) but uh, it's remaining self-possessed even in calamity and that's a remedy it's one of the hundred remedies uh, and then you mentioned in that context that the virtual world of the Internet and social media is almost wholly engineered to get a rise out of us one way or another. And Oh, my God, it's so successful at doing that. You know, of all these hundred remedies, I mean, are they all equal? How, how do you propose that the average reader benefit from this particular exposition?
0: Well, I, I think... Um yeah it's it's funny the remedies themselves are very short um and I, and I really tried to unpack them and show how you know the the entire tradition can be you know looked at and reflected upon from these very terse little sayings um and drawing you know examples and quotations and things from the Tao Te Ching and, and Zhuangzi and the ancient philosophical texts on up through the whole tradition um and yeah, since there are a hundred um, I thought a, a nice way to do it, you could just read straight through. Um, it might, for some people that'll be great and they'll love it and they'll wanna do that, but for for most people you could read one a day, you know, one passage a day. Couple pages, um, kind of ponder, think about, um, and maybe even take that as a theme, you know, for the day or the week. Um, and as different situations arise, you know, you can reflect upon, um, the principles that are found there and and how to apply them and there's a saying in uh, Taoism and and internal alchemy and even in martial arts that you know it takes a hundred days to build the foundation and so you know you could take one of these a day and and read them and after a hundred days you're gonna you're gonna feel pretty grounded in uh, Taoist ethics I think
1: well I think you've done a wonderful job of unpacking them you know it was very readable and it was enjoyable, and I love the way you brought in all the modern uh, situations that we're dealing with that um, are reflected in, in in these principles that go back so so far. Now, I want to talk about another thing that you're doing that's kind of related uh, to Taoism. In fact, I want to ask you, how is it related? You're a nature and forest therapy guide. What yeah. is what does that mean? What does a, a, ther- a forest therapy guide do?
0: well most people are uh pretty familiar these days with forest bathing and shinrin yoku as uh kind of the modern japanese iteration of it um and um yeah it's it's really about um nature connection and nature relatedness uh getting us back in touch with the natural world um you know thinking in terms of climate change you know um part of our problem has been we've become so disconnected right and our if our daily lives are too far removed from the natural world um, it, it's kind of like we we lose touch with what's happening and we don't notice uh, until it's too late so um, you know we, we care about or, or we pay attention to what we care about and so um, if we get people back in a relationship with the natural world um then we're more likely to uh survive this uh these coming times a little uh more unscathed for sure so nature force well, therapy yeah. go, go ahead no no i'm sorry go ahead i was just gonna say i was, gonna just, say gonna nature say, nature I was just gonna
1: say that i was just gonna say that this is like the essence of Taoism. it's like the relationship with nature and nature as our teacher yeah. you know water the life in, uh, in in the natural world. So this seems like this would mean a resurgence of Taoism might be good for the planet, in the light of climate chaos, etc.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think it's very, um, yeah, it, it it goes together very well. It Taoism looks to the natural world, um, you know, for its its guideposts. Um, and and uh, examples of of how to live and how to work. You know, we're all part of the the ecosystem or or the world or the universe or whatever we want to call it. Uh, so we call it the Tao. You know that 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 big mystery that's beyond uh, naming. Um, but we can see how it it works in the world through nature. Yeah. And you wrote another book
1: called The Tao of Sustainability which i'm sure is on this
0: topic. What is that book? Yeah, about? exactly. That that one was more focused on nature connection. Yeah, it has um, you know, um meditations and practices of uh nature connection and and uh it uh I'd like to think my writing's improved quite a bit <laughs> from uh, you know ten years ago, almost ten years ago when I wrote that. But uh, but I think it's still a uh, uh, very timely and and has some very useful uh, exercises, practices people can do. So if we we we're, we're, we're pretty much running out of time. So if you wanted to
1: offer our audience some parting words of advice or wise counsel, or just uh, summarize uh, the essence of of what you're uh, trying to express what would you what would you tell us
0: yeah I mean um, yeah dealing with climate change is is a big part of um, my writing whether I'm writing more strictly about Taoism or uh, nature connection and so I mean that's that's really the big issue of our time we have lots of other issues they are interesting times lots going on but um, If, if we can learn to be flexible and adaptable uh, less reactive um, and deal with things as they come, work together um, as a human family because uh, we're all in this together for sure um, we will all come through better. Uh, so yeah Taoism uh, offers a lot of tools and a lot of wisdom uh, on how to live a a better life, a happier life, a smoother flowing life. So, so that's what well, I wanted to offer
1: No, you've done a great job and I, I really enjoyed the book and I'm going to be looking at it a lot. A Hundred Remedies, you know, some of them are very profound, uh, are very relevant. And thank you so much for being with us today. There's so much more we could explore, but we've basically run out of time. And I want to make sure to tell our listeners about your website which is gregoryripley.com that's gregory yep. r-i-p-l-e-y.com and i'm sure that people can find the uh a lot more you're listening online. to k-b-o-o portland
0: that's doc watson one of the many artists you can hear on the cascadia coffee house each friday morning when we share a wide variety of traditional and contemporary folk and roots music with you from 5.30 to 7 a.m. Each week, your hosts Dan Schramach and Stephen Morrison bring you some of our favorite new releases and plenty of vintage favorites. It's a great way to start your Fridays, discover some new music, and find out about shows and festivals coming to the area. You can also find show playlists and listen to archive shows on demand via our website at kboo.fm and also via our free mobile app. That's the Cascadia Coffee House each Friday morning. We hear a variety of traditional and contemporary folk and roots music from 5.30 to 7. Right here on KBOO.
1: We hope you'll join us.